if I can find people that are really solid and really strong and they can do it at 80 to 85 percent the level that I can do it, then I'm happy to turn it over to them, train them, get them to start to do it, and then I don't have to do it. And then I can go focus on things that I'm better at and continue to grow the company. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities in order to qualify the sponsor in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Dan Hamford. How you doing, Dan? Doing great, Joe. Looking forward to the call today. Yeah, well, I am too, and I'm glad you're doing great. A little bit about Dan. He's one of the managing partners with PassiveInvesting.com, which is a national passive apartment investing firm based in the Carolinas. He's led a successful apartment syndication company to acquire over 2,000 units with a portfolio valued over $222 million in under 24 months. If you recognize Dan's name, well, it's likely that you're a loyal best ever listener because he was on the show, interviewed episode 1609. So that is approximately about a year ago or so. So there's some updates that we want to talk about and lessons learned from those updates because clearly Dan and his team have been busy based in Columbia, South Carolina. So with that being said, Dan, you want to give the best ever listeners a refresher of your background and then we'll go right into it. Sure. I know we got a lot to cover in a shorter amount of time, so I'll keep it brief. And if they want a more of an expanded version, they can listen to that other episode. But my background has been primarily in business and starting businesses from scratch and just learning to delegate certain tasks to other people to be able to grow to the point where I can kind of take the, what I like to call the Warren Buffett position, where I can check in with the CEOs and the people who are running those organizations. So I have a, a group of medical clinics that I have here, non-surgical orthopedic medical clinics in South Carolina that I started from scratch and have a good team running those for me with about 50 employees. Then I have another company that sells all types of skeletons and skulls and brains and hearts called shopanatomical.com. And we do that. They're all plastic models. So don't worry, Joe, I'm not going to like ask you for your eyeball or anything. But that business started in the middle of the last recession in 2007 and 8 and continued to grow year over year. And it's what allowed me to be able to start my first practice, medical clinic debt-free. My background is actually in chiropractic. So I started in, in chiropractic first and then kind of morphed into opening these medical clinics. And now I'll have these clinics debt-free as well because of the, that earlier business. And obviously with that, you have to pay a lot of money in taxes when you start to make some money. So multifamily was that ticket for me to be able to help me from a tax standpoint. And then also from starting my own syndication business, be able to increase my revenue at the same time, helping other people reduce their taxes as well as myself and having a very big benefit from that. You and your team are the lead general partners on that portfolio valued over $220 million. Is that correct? Yeah. So to break it down a little bit, when we first started the company to kind of build our credibility and to build our track record, we actually helped and co-GP'd and co-sponsored with some other groups on the first couple of deals. And then after we started kind of building that track record and experience, we started closing our own deal. So of that $220 million portfolio, about $120 million of that is our own projects and the rest is with other co-GPs. So $120 million of your own projects in under 24 months is phenomenal. So let's talk about 
what got you all to this point. What would you say are some components that allowed you all to get to this point in this period of time? So I'll kind of answer this in a not an easy way because I had people ask us, you have this group, PassiveInvesting.com, and you have this large syndication stuff going on. You seem like you've got a lot of success. What do you do to build this up? And is there like one magic thing that you've done? And any business that I've started, there's never been just one thing. It's always been this multimodal approach to marketing. It's been a multimodal approach to actually growing and scaling. And one of my biggest strengths is being able to have an overall strategy and a vision for the future and being able to put certain pieces of the puzzle in place. So obviously being able to do that from other businesses and taking that into this business was a big benefit for me and our group as a whole. But I don't think it's a secret, Joe. You are my mentor as well in the multifamily space. So I've modeled a lot of things that we do after your success that you've had. And it's been, for me, great because it's helped me reduce our learning curve into the space. And the very first property we acquired was 130 units. And the value of that property was over $9 million that we acquired. And that particular property was personally, was my first acquisition into any type of real estate outside of my own home. So for us, I don't think that we could have done something like that if we didn't have somebody like you to be able to help us and guide us along that entire process. And you know that we're on calls all the time discussing things. And earlier on, it was more like two or three times a week we're on a call. And and now it's more kind of on an as-needed basis. And then I also have some regularly scheduled calls with you as well on a monthly basis. But really able to have that key player of having a mentor and then be able to match that with being able to implement systems and procedures and processes has been a big benefit. And then also the flexibility of being able to go full-time, full bore into this business and not having to maintain a secondary job or a corporate job has been a big benefit for us as well. Okay. So three things that I heard, vision for where you're headed, one, modeling others, two, with access to those models, and then three, being able to focus on it full-time. And as you said, I have the benefit of having seen you go from where you were in real estate to where you are now. So there are some things I've noticed, and I just want to ask you about maybe one or two of them. So one would be the team that you currently have and the strengths that everyone brings to the team. So can you talk about PassiveInvesting.com and how you and your partners interact or complement each other on certain strengths that each of you have? Sure. So I have two podcasts. One's a multifamily podcast, just called Multifamily Investor Nation. And I have another one, which is more entrepreneurial related called Tough Decisions for Entrepreneurs. And on that Tough Decisions for Entrepreneurs podcast, one of the things we ask about is what are some of the tough decisions that people have had to make in business? The number one thing we always hear from people is about partnerships. And one of the biggest reasons why partnerships fail is because there's a misalignment of interests and desires and they're overstepping each other too much. So when you're creating a partnership, you have to be able to find, like you mentioned earlier, these complementary traits that allow you to be able to succeed together. But what's also important is, is that each person, even when they with those complementary traits, needs to understand and know what the inner workings are of that other person's role is and responsibilities so that they can see that the decisions that they make, how that impacts the other person. And then also, we have investors that will ask us, they'll say, well, what happens if one of you dies or gets in a car accident or something like that? Can the other ones take over? And the answer is yes, we can. Would there be a lot more things and responsibilities that we have to take over? Absolutely. But the biggest thing that we did or that I kind of 
formulated in the very beginning was this partnership that we have. And one of my partners, his name is Brandon Abbott, and he actually goes to my church here in Columbia, South Carolina. He's married and got four girls, and I'm married and have four children, and our families are really close and go to the same church and same private school together and things like that. And I had a conversation with him one day about what I was doing, and then his background fit really well with what I was kind of needing. And I wasn't necessarily looking for him. I never asked him to join us, but like three or four weeks later, he called me up and he said, listen, I'm tired of what I'm doing. I love what you're doing. Can I join you? And of course, I'm like, well, I can't pay you anything because there's no revenue coming in right now. But if you want to be one of my partners, then let's try to formulate a partnership there. And he's like, I'm all in. So he quits his job and he's with us full time. What was his background that you said was needed at the time? Sure. His background was in construction management, and then for the last six or seven years, he'd been working with some of the larger insurance companies as an independent adjuster for like lost claims. So that really fit with us because I don't have a lot of background in that. So when I go and look at a property, I don't have that major benefit of being able to throw a drone up in the air, age a roof, and see if we have to replace a roof, what's going to cost us, and be able to create a lot of those. We call it our pre-LOI inspection. So he kind of goes in ahead of time before we even put an offer on something and sees what are going to be some of those major CapEx items that we might need to look at and consider. And then he's also helping to put together the CapEx budget for the renovation plan, and then he's also working very closely with the property management companies to make sure that they're actually performing based on those budgets. Okay. And then the third partner we have is Danny Rendazzo, and his background is as a financial analyst. So he used to work for one of the top financial consulting firms in the country, and at the time he was working full-time with that group, and he was looking to make a switch and a transition, and he is also one of your mentors, and that's how him and I got connected and got to meet up. He's located in Charleston, South Carolina, so it's about an hour and a half drive, not too long. So Brandon and I have actually took a trip down there, and we actually were looking at a property and wanted to get his opinion on some stuff. And he started to see some of the things that we were doing, and he actually reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in me joining your group? And I'm like, absolutely. I need somebody that's really strong in finance and underwriting and due diligence and that piece of it and asset management. So he fits that role very well. And so we have this kind of triad partnership where he's kind of managing and doing the financial underwriting and modeling and asset management and financial due diligence and working with the attorneys and the lenders and all that kind of good stuff. And then we have Brandon doing all of the acquisitions and broker relations and CapEx budgeting and modeling and monitoring with the property properties. And then my role is primarily from a investor relations and a overall marketing strategy, as well as from an overall operation standpoint as well, because of the success that I've had in some of these other businesses, trying to put a lot of these systems and procedures and processes in place has been a very big strength of mine. What responsibilities have changed or evolved from when you all initially created the structure to what it looks like today? Honestly, from the three different roles, it's been fairly consistent. One thing that we have kind of made some decisions to kind of change on is our goal with the group is not to try to create another full-time job for ourselves, which right now that's what we've created. And so we're actually in the process now of, of hiring people that can actually start to delegate a lot of these tasks to, to and still be the managing partners, still make not the day-to-day, but the higher level decisions about when to buy, when to sell, a lot of these major decisions, but the day-to-day operations we can turn over to a full-time analyst and a full-time asset manager and also put in place a full-time marketing person and investor relations piece. So going into 
2020, that's kind of our goal. And we've already hired our full-time marketing director and already hired a full-time investor relations person that's kind of helping me with an enemy and my assistant. And so right now we're kind of in the process of doing interviews and first quarter of next year, Q1 to 2020, we're going to be hiring our first full-time asset manager. And then later on in the year, we'll hopefully be hiring another one of those as we continue to grow and scale if it's needed. And then also a full-time analyst. What's the full-time investor relations person do? The full-time investor relations person works very closely with me. So whenever we have a project and a deal that we're actually in the process of raising funds for, she is actually very closely with the investors and she's local. So that's one position that if you're going to do a virtual, I prefer to be local, at least in the United States, I mean. So I wouldn't want that person to be over in the Philippines having access to a lot of the financial information that we get from investors on these documents. But she manages the process of making sure all the PPM documents are signed and the information on those documents is accurate and correct. And then she also makes sure that all the wires come in from all the funds. She notifies the investors as soon as possible whenever they come in. And we're very, very good about a wire comes in within an hour of us receiving it. We're sending back a message to the investor so that they can be set at ease that we've actually received their funds. So when we're in the process of raising funds for a particular projects, she's very, very busy. And then in between projects, we have various tasks that we have her doing as far as updating records, calling in and getting status updates from investors. So when we do a first distribution on a property, reaching out to those investors, did you receive your distributions, things like that. And then also, as you know, when you're in a project, there's things about updating ACH and entity transfers and things like that that go inside of each one of these projects. And so she's pretty much handling all of that piece of it. And my primary role is to have a lot of these investor conversation and these investor communications with these investors on the front end. And then also while they're in the project, if they have any questions on that person as well. You have three business partners in PassiveInvesting.com. How many business partners with an organization would be too many? Hmm. It's a good question. So I would say it depends. Are you talking about any organization or, or this type of an organization? Yeah, let's go this type. Yeah, good clarification. Yeah, so in this type of an organization, I really feel like three is probably a good number except for maybe one other position. Maybe if you had another position where you had like a vertically integrated property management company and you can have another person that's kind of managing that piece of it. Or if you parceled off the asset management piece and you had another person in there from an asset management perspective. But I think three is a good number. And I think it's good from a perspective from the investors as well, because one thing that I've seen with some operators, this doesn't happen all the time, but I'm sure you've probably heard of these stories as well, Joe, where an investor is, has put money into a project six months down the road, they can't get a hold of the operator. They're like, just like fall off the face of the earth. doesn't happen very often, but I've seen that lately. And it's usually a one-off operator that's just, just them and there's like nobody else. So to me, I do passive investments myself. I'm actually in 19 different syndications right now and with eight different operators. And I make sure that there's not just one person in the partnership. I like to see at least two, but three is my preference because if something happens to the one, there's still somebody else there to take over the business if something happens to them, right? And also, if I can't get a hold of the one, I'm pretty sure I'll be able to get a hold of the other ones, right? So for me, it's a, it's a mitigation standpoint as well from a passive investor standpoint too. You're in 19 syndications with 18 different operators as a passive investor. Think about the last deal that you came across for passively investing in, but you did not invest in it. Why did you not invest in it? It's the market. 
one of the biggest things that I look for is the market. And I have a subscription to certain data analytics that allow me to use for our syndication group that allows me to look up some of my passive investments and verify different things and stuff like that. But the biggest thing I look at is the market. So even if I like an operator, if I don't like the market they're going into, then I'm not going to follow them in that market. So I don't really care how good that operator is. I'm a big believer in the market dynamics as well. So that would be one of the biggest things I do not invest in. But a couple other things that I would say is preferred returns. I won't invest in a deal unless it has preferred returns because that's to me, there's a big alignment of interest when you have those preferred returns. And that's how we treat our investors with our deals as well. We have those preferred returns and we want to make sure we treat our investors very well because we don't want to just do one deal with them. We want to be doing multiple deals for many, many years and continue to produce these legacy wealth assets and plays so that we can kind of grow together. And I think the more you treat your investors that way, the more they're willing to refer their friends and they're more willing to invest with you on multiple projects. So those are just a couple of things. The market, looking for preferred returns. I actually do like the 70-30 splits because when you have to start to go down below 70-30 to go 80-20 or 90-10 on some of your equity splits, the deal to me is not strong enough. It's like a, it's a weaker deal, which is why they have to give up some more of that equity in order to do that. So to me, I like to have that 70-30 split. I like to have those preferred returns in there. And I also like to have monthly distributions. There's a few of them I'm in as quarterly, but I prefer to have those monthly distributions as well. What's something that hasn't gone right during the last 12 months in the business? It's a good question. I've had a few investors ask me this question, so I can answer it very quickly here. One thing <laughs> that, one thing that uh, we did on a property is we underwrote for, I don't know the exact figure, I'm just going to say $200 rent bump. And it was going to cost about $10,000 a unit to renovate the unit to be able to get that rent bump. And I'm just giving you general numbers, not exact. So we went in, bought the property, had projections, had return numbers out there, and renovated the first two units at $10,000 a unit. And come to find out, we could not achieve that rent bump. And the nice thing is, is we only renovated two units. So we're not just going to go in and renovate 30% of the units before we figure out if we can, we can achieve the rent bumps. And the reason why we balance the rent bumps with the property management companies in the market and doing a comp analysis and a tour, and it was one of those properties that was kind of like on the fence of kind of a class B, class C area. So we just didn't do a very good job of really nailing that number down. But what we were able to do was to be able to mitigate that is that we only did two units. So it wasn't a major hit as far as the CapEx funds and the CapEx budget. What we were able to do is kind of reset and go, okay, well, what can we do to reduce the renovation budget to still achieve the returns for the investors that we have to lower the rent increase? And so we were able to go in there and reduce the renovation budget, even though we had to reduce the rents, but we're still going to be able to achieve and surpass the original projections that we had on that particular property based on the projections that we have now. Basically, you have the same ratio. It's just different dollar amounts. Correct. Do you remember what you did one or two things to reduce the expenses like go from granite to something else? Yeah, so there was a wall in the kitchen area that we decided just to leave up, even though it would open it up and okay. a little more room in yep. the kitchen, we decided to reduce that. And then we also went from stainless steel to black appliances and then from granite to Formica. Mm -hmm. Got it. That will do it. Those are, those are the main things. Yep, it will. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have, as you mentioned at the beginning, some very successful entrepreneurial ventures, the medical clinics, the online business. You've got the syndication business. Have you had an entrepreneurial venture that has not made money and you abandoned it and then you moved on to something else? 
I haven't had an actual venture do that, but absolutely in my practice that I have, my medical clinics, and even in my other businesses, I've done certain things that we thought were going to make money, but we tried them, they didn't work, and we stopped. We didn't necessarily lose a bunch of money, but we were constantly monitoring and putting KPIs in place and kind of checking those metrics and making the decision of if it's not working, let's just stop early instead of just trying to continue to bleed this thing. So really the biggest lessons that we've learned there is just making sure that you're measuring and monitoring everything that you're doing so that you can pivot sooner rather than later. We actually opened up when we started to expand from one clinic to four clinics. We started to open up new clinics, and at the time, we were only looking at our numbers on a quarterly basis. And if you know anything about data analytics, if you're looking at it on a quarterly basis, it's actually a retrospective analysis. And by that time, it's usually too late to pivot to make any impact on that quarter. Usually, it's always hard, right? Never can make that change. So for us, we started to do monthly data analytics on our clinics. And then once we started to go to that third clinic and fourth clinic, even monthly wasn't enough. So we started doing weekly and daily analytics so we can make sure we can make those decisions quicker and faster instead of waiting until we've already lost a lot of revenue and we can't make it back up because of the time has already gone past. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Learn to delegate. Because one of the things that I learned early on in my entrepreneurial journey is that I had to learn how to delegate things that I knew I could do because I have a flaw of myself that I feel like I can do everything better than everybody else. And yes, I understand it's a flaw. Um, a lot of <laughs> entrepreneurs have that flaw, but you have to come to the realization of your flaws, right, in order to fix yep. them. So I had to sit back earlier on in my entrepreneurial journey and owning businesses and say, even though I know I can still do it better than anybody else, if I can find people that are really solid and really strong and they can do it at 80 to 85 percent of the level that I can do it, then I'm happy to turn it over to them, train them, get them to start to do it, and then I don't have to do it. And then I can go focus on things that I'm better at and continue to grow the companies. Mm. You mentioned you're hiring a decent amount of people for your company. What's the good place to find those qualified applicants? Sure. From a general marketing person, things like that, non-real estate related, I usually a lot of times find them on Indeed, kind of my go-to place right now, Indeed.com. Virtual assistants I've found on Upwork.com. And then from a commercial real estate standpoint, we've been using the SelectLeaders.com platform for that. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com. Best ever resource you use in your business to keep you up to date with industry trends? CoStar. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? I'm actually starting a nonprofit myself that will help to improve the quality of Christian private education across the country. What's the best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal that I've done? Hmm, in real estate. Oh, I would probably say it's our most recent deal. 
We did a deal that was a pretty large deal. It was our largest one to date. It was a $51.5 million acquisition. We've only been into it for about two months at this point, but it was really nice to be able to get an appraisal back after in the process of the due diligence in that particular acquisition and be able to have almost $2 million of increase in the value from the actual appraisal to where we are when we actually acquired the property. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Sure. Thanks, Joe. They can go to our website, passiveinvesting.com. You can also shoot me an email if you have any questions for me or if you want to jump on another phone call or on a phone call and have a discussion, you can shoot me an email at dan at passiveinvesting.com. Dan enjoyed it. Hope you have a best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe.